for the next few weeks in a row we're going to be exploring the, the heart practices in Buddhism, the cultivation of metta and loving-kindness in the heart that really goes hand-in-hand hand with vipassana. In fact, you can't really separate them. And I'll begin with a favorite poem from Mary Oliver. It's called In Praise of Craziness of a Certain Kind. On cold evenings, my grandmother, with ownership of half her mind, the other half having flown back to Bohemia, spread newspapers over the porch floor so, she said, the garden ants could crawl beneath as under a blanket and keep warm. And what shall I wish for, for myself, but being so struck by the lightning of years, to be like her with what is left, that loving. You know, we lose everything. It's true, right? These bodies and these minds and so on. And there is something timeless, some essence that really is beyond any of the definitions we hold for ourselves, that is this quality of heart that knows the belonging and that belonging to the whole, to the field. When we practice Buddhist meditation, we have what's called two wings of training. And this is classic Buddhism, that there's these two wings and when we wake up these two wings we can fly free like the birds. And one wing in Vipassana is to notice what's happening. It's this wing of clear seeing. It's when I say, let your senses be awake. What's happening? And there's a a wisdom that arises when we really, in the moment, notice the what's happening. The other wing is the wing of the heart that allows what's happening with a tremendous quality of kindness. Now initially, the wings are experienced as recognizing and allowing. And as we fully embody and inhabit them, the recognition becomes a full presence and the allowing becomes full love. And they're inseparable. You can't notice what's happening if there's any quality of judgment, of manipulating, of not liking it. We can't see what's here if we're in reaction. And we can't really love unless we notice what's happening. That's why the two wings really are inseparable. But I'd like to spend these weeks, as I mentioned, exploring what are the particular ways that we wake up that kind of warmth, that tenderness that really allows this life to be as it is sometimes called Maitri, loving-kindness. And to say that in the classic Buddhist teachings, the Buddha would send the monks out to the forest to meditate. And he sent them out to forests that were inhabited by all sorts of wild and vicious creatures and spirits and ghosts, and they were haunted and so on. That's just part of the, the tradition, you know, get them completely scared. And so that's what would happen. The monks would go out there and they would freak out and come back to the Buddha and say, oh, holy one, we can't do it. It's just, you know, it's too scary. And then that gave rise to, oh, here's the meditation if you're too scared. And what he taught them was the metta meditation. He taught them 
the practices, and there's metta meditation sounds like it's a single meditation. It's not. Just like the word meditation sounds like it's talking about some specific thing. Metta meditation is any way of paying attention that wakes up your natural kindness and care. Any way of paying attention. Now there are some classic practices, but it's really any way of paying attention. So he taught them a way of paying attention, of appreciating the goodness and and offering blessings. And then they went back into the woods, into the forest, and as the story has it, all the um, vicious, violent creatures and haunted spirits and so on all became very benevolent and fell in love with the monks and everybody was happily ever after. The point is, though that when we start paying attention in a way that wakes up our heart we're coming home to the fullness and truth of who we are. When we pay attention in a way that helps us remember caring it's a homecoming. And we all know that. It's like we might not actively feel like we love but we know we care about loving because we care about really being fully what we are. So from the sutta, the metta sutta, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child. So, with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. What I love about that is really the sense that it's fine to have particular targets for our love but the truth is that the whole world lives in our hearts that really we are mother too or that this heart is ageless and really holds life so it's coming back home it says one friend I remember last year told me about a bumper sticker that um, someone saw on the beltway if you lived in your heart you'd be home by now <laughs> so I thought that was great Yeah, if you lived in your heart you'd be home by now so that's what we'll be doing it's like how do we come home it's not that we're cultivating something that isn't there that we're polishing or trying to be different it's really in a way that we're relaxing and stepping out of a fixated trance of what's wrong and that is the trick with metta that we have a conditioning that keeps us navigating through the world detecting the what's wrong and that's the meaning of trance is that it's narrowed and metta is a way of waking up out of that narrowness and remembering what we have forgotten so the alchemy of metta this is how the mechanics are is that in the moments that we step out of the something's wrong and notice what we appreciate even if it's not our main habit we have this capacity when we notice what we appreciate there's a natural tenderizing that goes on 
whether it's beauty or goodness or whatever, and we feel, we reconnect with a sense of, ah, belonging, love. So metta requires a certain amount of presence. It's like that psychologist that went to Las Vegas and put up in his um, office the sign, you must be present to win, you know? That's the idea, that you have to be here enough to notice the goodness, to notice what you appreciate. Now the truth is that every one of us has our own styles of not being here, of getting waylaid, of not noticing the goodness. And it's because we each are taking what I call a lot false refuges. We get waylaid because we deep down want to be in love. And because we all had trouble with feeling the unconditional holding of love early on, it, we didn't feel like, oh, it's right here. We all tried to, these different strategies to get it. And for many of us, it's to prove ourselves or improve ourselves or cover over ourselves or defend ourselves. But we all have... The, some, for some of us, it's overeating. For some of us, it's, you know, in some way um, numbing out completely to try to calm down the fears and feel love. We all have false refuges. And the deal is, and this is on every spiritual path, until you see your false refuges and discontinue them. And by the way, the biggest false refuge is blame. If you've noticed, judgment and blame, that's the way we try to protect ourselves in the most deep way. If you can see them, and because you care about caring, discontinue the routine, the thoughts, then you can come back to where the vulnerability and the loving is. So we get waylaid. We all spend time each day in the false refuges versus opening to where the real love is. And it's very tempting because they give us temporary gratification. Anger and being right gives us that temporary feeling of power. It protects our, our, the softness in our heart. Eating gives a temporary pleasure or overeating. Getting lost in fantasy, temporary pleasure. So it's like St. Augustine said, Dear Lord, please give me chastity and continence, but not yet. (laughs) So this is the trance of selfing, that we stay caught in a self trying to get some good experiences, and we're always chasing after them. And the very act of chasing after or defending or blaming keeps us from the one place the one place where genuine love is possible. We can see it most clearly, this trance of seeking these refuges with each other. When you look at your relationships, when we're caught in selfing, every person we're relating to, in some way we want something from them or we're trying to make sure something bad doesn't happen with them, or else they're not relevant to us. But there's some element of trying to control the experience with most relationships. There's that agenda that we in some way want something or want something not to happen. And the classic example is in India, they say when a pickpocket sees a saint, they see the saint's pocket. Okay, so that's 
the agenda, and I'm bringing that up now because we're going to do a reflection on this, that in any moment that with another person we have an agenda that in some way we want them to satisfy a want, to approve of us, to see us, to give us something, to not threaten us, we can't really see who's here and we can't connect with the place where there's really heart and oneness. Barbara Streisand says, Why does a woman work for ten years to change a man's habit and then complain that he's not the man she married? (laughs) So it's like that. We're constantly... Okay, so let me ask you to reflect for a moment. Just take some time just to let your eyes close. You don't have to come into great meditation posture. This is just checking in. So as I'm mentioning, false refuge in our relationships is when we are trying to get something from another. We're trying for something not to happen. And the invitation right now is for you to review a few encounters you had today with people. And just take your time and without judging yourself negatively or positively, just with it, just as an honesty, just notice the quality of presence in retrospect, in those encounters. You might sense the person, sense what happened and ask yourself, was I wanting something? Was there an unmet need that I was trying to go after something? Was I wanting to appear in a certain way to impress, to prove, to win something? Was I trying to avoid judgment, protect against judgment? Was I disengaged because it didn't feel important, meaningful? In a way, the inquiry was, was I turning that person into an unreal other, an object of my agenda? Or maybe for some, it wasn't what happened, that that person was real and there wasn't an agenda. There was simply a presence, an appreciating, a feeling of, here we are together, with all the particular nuances of that person and your own being. Open your eyes when you'd like. So the inquiry here is really about our intimacy, the quality of heart we have with other people. That's really the, the inquiry. Um, how much we have a kind of a false refuge or an agenda that we, we're playing out where we think things need to be different, we not want something from the relationship, there, things aren't okay as they are, or whether there's an appreciation of what is. A presence. And there's a, a story I've always liked that I'd like to share with you that I think speaks to this. It's called Biscuits Beyond Compare. 
And it's written by Ed Brown, who was a cook at Tas Sahara. And he says, when I first started cooking at Tas Sahara, I had a problem. I couldn't get my biscuits to come out the way they were supposed to. I'd follow the recipe and try variations, but nothing worked. These biscuits just didn't measure up. Growing up, I had made two kinds of biscuits. One was from Bisquick and the other from Pillsbury. For the Bisquick biscuits, you added milk to the mix and you blobbed the dough and spoonfuls onto the pan. You didn't even need to roll them out. The biscuits from Pillsbury came in a kind of cardboard can. You wrapped the can on the corner of the counter and it popped open. Remember that? Then you twisted the can open more and you put the pre-made biscuits on the pan and baked them. I really like those Pillsbury biscuits. Isn't that what biscuits should taste like? Mine just weren't coming out right. It's wonderful and amazing the ideas we get about what biscuits should taste like or what a life our relationship should look like. Compared to what? Canned biscuits from Pillsbury? Leave it to Beaver? People who ate my biscuits could extol their virtues, eating one after another, but to me these perfectly good biscuits weren't right. Finally, one day came a shifting into place, an awakening. Not right compared to what? Oh, my word, I'd been trying to make canned Pillsbury biscuits. (laughs) Then came an exquisite moment of actually tasting my biscuits without comparing them to some previously hidden standard. They were weedy, flaky, buttery, sunny, earthy, real, as Rilke's sonnet proclaimed. They were incomparably alive, present, vibrant, in fact, more satisfying than any memory. These occasions can be so stunning, so liberating, these moments when you realize your life is just fine as it is, thank you. Only the insidious comparison to a beautifully prepared, beautifully packaged product made it seem insufficient. Trying to produce a biscuit, a life, with no dirty bowls, no messy feelings, no depression, no anger, was so frustrating. Then savoring, actually tasting the present moment of experience. How much more complex and multifaceted. How unfathomable. A thought, a feeling, ants crawling on the ground in the sunlight. As Zen students, we spent years trying to make it look right, trying to cover the faults, conceal the messes. We knew what BizQuick Zen student looked like. Calm, buoyant, cheerful, energetic, deep, profound. Our motto, as one of my friends said, was, looking good. (laughs) We've all done it. We have all done it. Trying to look good as husband, wife, parent. Trying to attain perfection. Trying to make Pillsbury biscuits. Well, to heck with it, I say. Wake up and smell the coffee. How about it's some good old home cooking, the biscuits of today. Handle each ingredient with sincerity and wholeheartedness. The results will take care of themselves. Savor them. In a way, we have these ideas about how we should be and others should be and our relationship should be. We all have it. We kind of live with these ideas of how it's supposed to be at any time. And our habit is to scan for what's wrong. So the metta practices our practices of saying, oh, so this is the biscuit of this moment. This is the feeling, this is the way this relationship is, this is this being, this moment. Can we appreciate what's here? Can we pause and step out of our ideas of how it's supposed to be, not have any demand on it, and savor what's here? 
Now, several weeks ago when I spoke, I described how there's been more and more of a kind of science that describes how just out of our evolutionary history we have, a, have mechanisms in our brain that, that are habituated to scanning for the negative. It's a survival thing that we move through life and we look for who's going to attack or who's dissing us or what's going to go wrong. And so, in a way, the metta practice is a deconditioning of that. Not so we then go walk out in the middle of the street and get creamed. I mean, it's not to, not to put aside our basic intelligence and sanity and taking care of ourselves. But we all are addicted to overdoing it. We are addicted to figuring out, addicted to blaming, addicted to preventing and protecting and defending. And unless we have an intentional practice, and this is where our our kind of dedication to waking up comes in, an intentional practice of seeing those habitual strategies and pausing and learning to step out of the trance and appreciate what's here, we stay stuck in a heart that's kind of imprisoned. You know how it's said that we only use a small portion of our mind? We only use a small portion of our heart. We spend a lot of time... We we love people, we know we love them, but the actual visceral experience isn't there so much. It's hard to admit that, but it's true. Where there's a kind of a trance, it gets veiled over by the subtle layers of judging and defending, of wanting it different. So we're in training here to wake up out of that trance and directly learn to pause and savor, appreciate what's here. Which means the way life is expressing itself through the particulars of this tree and the way it's turning colors are the taste and crunch of an apple are with another person the way that they might curl up when they go to sleep the way they enjoy their favorite flavor of ice cream or the way that something really breaks them up when they're really amused the way they're touched by beauty in other words savoring the biscuit is really means taking the time to appreciate who's here including our own being the Buddha talked about the dream we're in he described it as kind of a trance I use the word trance a lot and it's a trance as I mentioned of not only scanning for what's wrong but of being incredibly preoccupied with the way this self is appearing in the world In other words, rather than seeing and really taking in the burnt colors of gold and and the brilliance of the sky, we're preoccupied with the story of a self that's either failing or succeeding. This is Pema Chodron. She says, being preoccupied with our self image is like being deaf and blind. It's like standing in the middle of a vast field of wildflowers with a black hood over our heads. It's like coming upon a tree of singing birds while wearing earplugs. Isn't that good? I mean, you can kind of get the sense of it. It's like we're so caught up. How am I doing? What impression am I making? How has this person treated me? This is wrong. I need this. That we miss out on the mystery and the goodness. We're not savoring what's here. 
So the invitation is that we continue the mindfulness practice of noticing what is happening. And we include this kind of cultivation of warmth, this intention to pause and notice what we're not noticing. The word goodness, the root of the word goodness semantically, is the Indo-European word for gather and together. And goodness has to do with fitting together and being part of a whole. And when we feel good, we're feeling the goodness of not being preoccupied with self, me, how they're thinking of me, how I'm going to get. Rather, goodness, it's not that that makes us bad, it disconnects us from wholeness, from belonging. Does that make sense? This isn't a good-bad, this is goodness, an innate goodness of feeling belonging that comes when we start pausing and appreciating. That's the gateway. So the good news is, well, the bad news is that we have a very strong habit to look for what's wrong and to close our hearts, to armor our hearts and blame. And the good news is that there is clearly evidence of neuroplasticity in the brain. <laughs> really, we can train our brains. There are these neural pathways that are kind of in a groove of thinking, you know, this is the way other, the other out there, this is the distance, this is the you know, sense of not belonging. And we can actually start noticing the behaviors that feed those neural pathways. We can notice the thinking that feeds them. And we can begin through presence, through pausing, through intentionally creating the space to appreciate, to cultivate a bigger reality. So we'll do a few metta practices as as a way to ground this and then we'll continue it over these next few weeks. There are thousands of practices and skillful means in Buddhism and in other spiritual traditions, all different forms of meditation. What makes a meditation work is really the uh, attitude of sincerity. So if you're going to begin this deepening of training in metta, kind of waking up out of the trance and really finding that natural loving, the beginning is to sense in a very sincere way, okay, I care about this just that it matters. There's a kind of innocence to that. So you might just kind of find that place in you. It's not a been there, done that. It's not a this can't work for me. It's not a all right, well. It's like connecting with the sincerity that knows that you care about caring. That there's a kind of coming home that really matters to you to learn to to love without holding back, to not get caught in the blame, to not believe the thoughts, to spare ourselves the days and weeks and decades of creating a bad other or a bad self. We know that, we've done that a lot. Now's the time that we can, with our sincerity, really come home to something 
that's very true and very precious, which is a natural loving. It's when we're most who we are. So we feel our sincerity and then with the classical loving-kindness practices we start where it's easiest to feel goodness and connection. And one place that for many people is powerful is to bring to mind someone in this world who has been kind to you, who has been in some way generous with their time and energy. And if there's not a person, maybe there's an animal. And if there's not an animal, it might be feeling the generosity of the earth in certain ways. But if there is a person, pick a person. It's called the benefactor in the classical terms. And sense him or her here. And and you might sense the particulars of how this person has believed in you, supported you in physical ways shown up and just sense, see their eyes and just sense that there is a sincerity of caring, of kindness that's coming your way. And see if you can let that in. And if you can't, notice that too, because that's part of waking up. So sense your breath and just sense the eyes of another that care and that there's something that's really being offered that you could breathe in and let yourselves receive. and sense the goodness of that person as you do. And so that even if you can't let it in so much, you can sense the goodness that's there and a kind of a, a, a felt sense of appreciation. And let that spread through you. So it's visceral that you feel that person's goodness in your heart. This is, the, this is the spirit and sense of loving-kindness, to sense the goodness and feel the appreciation, the kind of bond of caring. So that even if your image of another drops away, there's some kind of a, in the field, a kind of tenderness in the heart, a softening. And relax with that, let it spread. So the metta practice begins sometimes with sensing the goodness of another person and yet it's very rooted in our capacity to see and feel and appreciate the life, the heart, the spirit that's inside. So we then begin to acknowledge that. And that doesn't mean that we are denying imperfections we can acknowledge the conditioning that goes through us, the fear, the grasping, the judging. But we can also recognize the very ground of being, 
this wakefulness that's right here, the vulnerability and tenderness. Sometimes in seeing the goodness inside, it's helpful to look through the eyes of someone who loves you. Just another vantage point, because sometimes we're so blocked from really appreciating ourselves. So you might explore that for a moment. Take a moment now to bring to mind maybe the person you were thinking of before or someone that you know really, really loves you, appreciates you. And again, it could be a person, could be a grandmother or spiritual teacher, friend. It could be your dog. Look through the eyes of one who cares. And what is it that's seen? What is it that that being appreciates about you? Take some moments to sense what you can open to and appreciate within your own being right now, right here tonight. And it may be that you are very honest or that you really want to be awake, you want to be free, or that you do care about other people. You might sense your own sincerity, even though you get stuck in different ways, that there's a sincerity. You might sense what your deepest aspiration is and appreciate that. So in these moments, feeling the life, the spirit inside, that which is honest, is caring, wants to awaken, wants to love well. And offer whatever prayer for your own being, whatever blessing you'd like to offer right now. And for some it helps just to touch your own heart with your hand and communicate your blessing with both a tender touch and also with a an inner whisper. What is it you want to offer to your own being as a blessing? For some it might be the simplicity of, may I be happy? May I be filled with loving presence, held in loving presence? May I accept myself just as I am? May I be peaceful. Sense the prayer, or maybe it's several, that you'd like to offer to yourself. This is the expression of metta, of loving-kindness, to offer a blessing.
contemporary Indian master Bapuji teaches this. He says, My beloved child, break your heart no longer. Each time you judge yourself, you break your own heart. You stop feeding on the love which is the wellspring of your vitality. The time has come, your time, to live, to celebrate, and to see the goodness that you are. Let no one, no thing, no idea or ideal obstruct you. If one comes, even in the name of truth, forgive it for its unknowing. Do not fight, let go, and breathe into the goodness that you are. opening your eyes when you'd like. This is, this is the beginnings. This is the grounds of the loving-kindness practice. So the alchemy, to appreciate what's here and offer a blessing. And we can do it at any time of the day. You can do it as a formal practice or you just breathe and sense through your own eyes or another's, okay, what is it that I appreciate? And then offer the prayer, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. And you'll discover it sounds dualistic, who's the I and who are you offering it to? But what happens if you're sincere is that the duality dissolves and what's left is a field of tenderness. What's left is an open heart. Now, in the training of the heart, we begin, as I mentioned, with wherever it's easiest to appreciate goodness. We connect with our inner goodness. And then we begin widening the circle so that more and more beings are naturally felt as belonging in our heart. And the next widening, we might bring in our friends, loved ones. But the widening after that I want to mention tonight, because I think it's so interesting, which is we begin to offer metta as we are on the streets and in our day to those that are called neutral people. And what that means is the people we don't have a reaction to, like, oh, I really want this from that person or I can't stand that person. But they're just kind of like maybe somebody that you see regularly at the post office or somebody that you carpool with or somebody that's kind of a second cousin to us. Whatever it is, it's a person that is not so relevant to you in your mind. You pause and take a closer look and begin to appreciate, it's like savoring the biscuits, sense the particulars and appreciate the being that's there. One of the students I was working with a few years ago said that her metta practice as she moved through the world was to take people she didn't know so well and just mentally recite, we are friends we are friends, and then to look more closely, who's here? Who are you? Like, if we really pause, there's a a wonderful story that Krishnamurti says, he says, here's a practice for you. Take a stone, any garden variety stone from outside, put it in the middle of your living room. Once a day go by it, and just for like under a minute, just pay attention to it. In a month, you'll have a sacred stone. 
when we step out of the trance where we're scanning for what's wrong, what we want, moi, 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 and pay attention, we fall in love. Not right away, because we pay attention, but we still have our demand on the person or the experience. But gradually, as we get quieter, there's an appreciation of what is. There's a seeing of what's here. And in that seeing and that appreciating, we belong. We belong to what we're paying attention to. Why do you think it is people really are crazy about their dogs and they kind of like other people's dogs? You know, have you ever thought about that? You know, are these women that uh, two women in a hospital had babies and somehow other babies got mixed up and they went home with the wrong baby and about so they found out about it about 18 months later, and so the women were going to switch back, but they couldn't. They couldn't because they had fallen in love, because a mother with a new baby is just their attention they know every little curve of the ear and smell of the top of the head and every little way that the face moves when you know just you just fall in love because attention true attention is the most pure form of loving when we're taking our false refuges you know when we're caught up in the blame and the agendas It's not that we're bad, but we're not able to pay attention. We're not able to fall in love. So the invitation tonight is to just notice that with a tremendous forgiveness. Every one of us does it. We all get distracted. And to bring the sincerity that each of us has. We each want to love more fully. And let it be a daily practice to pause and notice what we appreciate. practice with your own being, just pausing. It's not, oh, I appreciate what a great job I did at such and such. It's more deep. I appreciate this aliveness. I appreciate this sincerity to wake up, to really realize what I am. I appreciate that in me that really wants to be intimate, take a chance, let go of my notions. Thich Nhat Hanh, about 15 years ago I was at a retreat that he led and the way he ended the retreat I want to share with you just kind of as part of a closing and then we'll just sit a little together. He had people face each other and first start with namaste which is really the kind of root expression of metta which is I see the divine in you. And namaste also means I see the divine in me and I see that sacredness, that aliveness, that creativity that is living through every creature. Namaste. Now, as you know, in this culture we say, hey, how are you? (laughs) And, you know, handshakes is showing, hey, I'm not carrying a gun. But namaste goes further than that, you know. It's like, it's not only I'm safe, but I see what's living through you and what's living through me. So we're learning to be able to truly say namaste. That's what we're learning about. Can you imagine? I mean, really, if we could go through our day and slow it down enough, like out of the trance enough, to, to authentically be with another and see that the one that's looking through those eyes is the same that's looking through our eyes. It's the same mystery. 
that that longing for love is love and that it's living through both of us. So he taught this meditation where start with namaste and then there's a hug where you take three breaths and in the first breath the reflection is I'm going to die. The second breath, you're going to die. And then in the third, and we have just these moments right here. Now why that reflection? Part of the trance is that we're on our way somewhere else and we just skim that surface so that we forget that this moment matters, that this is the one moment that we can look at each other and sense who's here and sense beyond this particular body-mind, this field of loving that really is our source. This is the only place we can experience that. Any idea that we want to be somewhere else, with somewhere else, different ourselves, that we want that person different, do you understand? Any demand on it being different, we can't say namaste. So we'll do a final meditation and just to say again that it begins, that this practice begins over and over again with that sincerity. It really doesn't matter what style you do, okay? It doesn't matter what words you use, what images you use. For some of you the smile might really help you. It's a very powerful technique, but it's just a technique. You might, right this moment, just smile into your eyes, sense a slight smile at the mouth, and relax your heart. Give yourself the gift of relaxing your heart. Just know that you don't have to do a meditation right that the invitation is just arriving here as well as possible. Feeling that sincerity that even if you don't care right now that something in you cares about caring. So there's a kind of prayerful quality. It's as Hafiz said, ask the friend for love. Ask him again, for I have learned that every heart will get what it asks for most. What if, woven through our day, there was this kind of remembering that said, please, love, that's what I want. And then there's that kind of sincerity that actually carries us home into the loving that's here already. Ask the friend for love. Ask him again, for I have learned that every heart will get what it asks for most. So we'll do a simple metta of just bringing to mind someone that's dear to you that could use your loving prayer right now and let that person be right here. Someone you care about. 
and see his or her face and see that person's eyes. And you might see the gleam in that person's eyes, the, the light, when there's a, a sense of enjoyment or happiness or excitement or interest. And it's fine to see the sadness in that person, the vulnerability. And see that person's tender heart, how they show love. So you can sense the goodness, the innate heart and awareness that's there. And as you breathe, just feel it, that you can feel it viscerally, your appreciation for that person's goodness, your care. And from that place of appreciation, offering a blessing. I'll recite some of the traditional words, but feel free to to offer whatever blessing most resonates. May you be filled with loving-kindness, held in loving-kindness. May you feel my love now. So that you imagine and sense that person receiving your blessings. May you accept yourself just as you are. Imagining the freedom that comes with that. May you know great and natural peace. Sensing that person deeply at ease. May your heart and mind awaken and be free. Sensing that person not as a body or a mind, but just the energy, the spirit, and the field of loving that's here. So that that field now you can sense your own body, heart, mind held in that. The life that's here, the heart that's here. Just appreciating your heart, your sincerity, your goodness offering your prayer to this being that's right here, may I be filled with loving presence, held in loving presence or loving kindness. May I accept myself just as I am. May I touch natural and great peace May this heart and mind awaken and be free.
Now bringing to mind someone that's in this room that you maybe don't know well but you've seen. Anyone. But bring someone to mind. And if you don't have a good visual memory, you want to peek, it's okay. But someone. And just sense that like you, this being wants to wake up wants to open his or her heart, is here out of a sincere intention to unfold on the path. Just feel that being's presence right here. And in your own language, offer a blessing that feels right to you to offer. This is sometimes called stealth metta. It's a secret metta, but it creates these invisible but true connections that you can pick someone else in the room, just one other person, and then we're going to close. One other person that's here. And you can just sense this person's presence, if you can remember their eyes, just sense the soulfulness that lives through those eyes, sense the namaste, that you can bow to this person's goodness, that they're too wanting not to suffer, wanting to be happy, wanting to wake up. And offer your prayer. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be free. And then this heart that is really a field of caring, since this room is a warm, awake field of caring that can spread out endlessly in all directions. So we can feel like spokes of a wheel that stretch out infinitely, the space, edgeless space of heart, offering our prayers now to all beings everywhere, that this evening our meditation and reflections and metta ripple out to touch all beings, that all beings everywhere be filled with loving presence and held in loving presence that all beings everywhere touch a natural and great peace. May there be peace on earth. May there be peace on earth. May there be peace everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.